What a great weekend we had last week. I don't know about you, I've been here 20 years, and I grew up in the church, so there were years prior to last weekend, but I do believe it was one of my all-time favorite Easter weekends ever, because we didn't just have Sunday, we turned it into a weekend with Friday night, Good Friday services that were just... Here's the other thing that I'm so encouraged by. I love being a part of great things, but I tell you what gives me super like turbocharged joy is when I see something done with excellence that took it to the whole another level and I had nothing to do with it. So those Friday night services, hopefully you noticed, I wasn't up here at all. I had nothing to do with the planning and Brad Spence, Lenore Dean, Brian Fannin, Peter LaRufa put that whole thing together. I said, what do you need from me? They said, just attend with your family. It was fantastic. Wow. So I want to I want to express my gratitude. There was a day that it was me in my basement saying, hello, Grace Fellowship. And it was me. Tag, you're it. And look at the day we're at with not just we've added some staff that can shuffle around and push paper. They are gifted and leaders. So I was so grateful. Fantastic weekend of rejoicing in and thinking about all over again what God has done for us that we could never do for ourselves to solve our biggest problem. The sin problem that separates us from our creator God and maybe you didn't know this. What else is going on with that problem? Drives us to chase after all kinds of other things in this world to try to be satisfied. And you can't. Nothing in this world will fully satisfy. Why is that? Why is it that even good things, I'm not talking about just the bad things, good things when you lean into them. To be fully satisfied. Why is it that friendship, it's good. Family, it can be good. Sexual pleasure, good. Work, good. Entertainment, good. But why is it that it all will ultimately fail you if you begin to put all your hope in it? Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because you and I were made for another world. And you were made to be in relationship with someone outside of this world who is the most loving, satisfying, beautiful, glorious, thirst-quenching being in the universe. And short of a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, where you're drinking deeply of those all-satisfying waters, you will begin to crush even the good things that God has given us. If you put too much weight on your marriage, bearing down on it, needing all your satisfaction, needing her to be the wife you just have always longed for, the husband you thought you'd get, the, the job you thought would so satisfy the Every single thing in this world has a measure of futility inherent within it because it's broken to some degree, has a hole in the bottom and leaks. The best marriage, the best friendship, the best church, the best pastor, the best job. Stay with it long enough and you begin to sense the brokenness and the futility. It cannot, you, your desire, that desire you have for satisfaction is bigger than what anything in this world can bear. You will crush it if you go there and say, this is what I need. This is what I've got to have. You've got to be that. And then we get frustrated saying, everyone just lets me down. I don't have real friends. I don't have a great boss. I can't find a great spouse. News alert. You're looking for love in 
places. Some, sometimes country songs get it right. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. You can, listen to me, you can get an, an hors d'oeuvre of some of these things, a little taste of some of these things, but the real meal, the banquet, the stuff that sticks to your ribs like prime rib, mashed potatoes, gravy, asparagus, lightly grilled, not overcooked, a little bit of sea salt. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Everything else is a Twinkie. So I digress. If you're just joining us. Here's where we are as a church family, and I'm so glad you're here. We've been going through the book of Romans that I think is one of the best books in all the Bible. And so just before Easter, we were in Romans 12 where we were like, whoa, look at this. God's given every Christian gifts, talents, abilities to impact people around them. But here's what I want to do today. Because we tend to get excited about those things sound powerful. It sounds like I can do something. And you can. God might actually use me to make a difference. He will. People might actually say, hey, you're good at. They might. Here's the danger. Here's what you need to understand. There's something more important than talents and abilities and giftedness. You say, really? The world doesn't make much of anything besides those. That's it for the world. Not according to scripture. I want to show you something that is more important than abilities, gifts, talents. And here's what's interesting. It's even something that our world recognizes, even though they do not pretend to worship God. It's something they recognize has amazing power. It's it's one of the most powerful forces in our world today. And it is one of the most sought after desires of the human heart. What am I talking about? Say it louder. Love. And that's why, here's what I think is interesting. Whatever the human heart longs for most, desires most, chases after most, thinks of most, we sing about. Now, I'm not talking about just inside the church. I'm talking about outside the church also. Pay attention when your radio's on. I didn't do any careful research on this. But I venture to guess, and I'm a music guy. I love music. My playlist is loaded with every kind of music in the world. Well, except country. Sorry. Loaded with all kinds of music. I love it. And here's what I would venture to guess. Love is sung about more than any other subject, hands down. Love. The Beatles, as long ago as 1967, were so bold as to sing... And say that all you, all you need is love, 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 love. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. I mean, boom. Number one in America, number one in all kinds of European countries. Huey Lewis in the news went on to sing about the power of love. And it's interesting, they said that could save you. Power love that could save you. But here's what also you'll note. If you hang there long enough and listen to enough songs, you'll sense that they are taken by this subject, caught up with this subject, and yet are still struggling to figure out where to find it and what it really is. 1977, the Bee Gees with their falsetto little voices were still struggling and asking the question, how deep is your love? 
You say you love, but how deep is your love? In 1984, Tina Turner had her first and only number one hit ever when she screamed over and over with her raspy voice, what's love got to do with it, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do with it, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Oh, what's love got to do with it? See, I could have gone different directions other than ministry. You're lucky to have me. That very next year, the group Foreigner had their biggest hit ever. It was not Dirty White Boy. That was not their biggest hit. Biggest hit ever. When they admitted that they were confused and still really wanted to know what love is. I want to know what love is. Yes, we all do. A decade later, it it was still unanswered. When Hathaway with this techno dance. Oh, I like that one. So what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is, it's a very simple song. That's about it. It's like seven minutes long. With bum, 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 I mean, you want to move. And he's asking, what is love? And baby, don't hurt me. What is love? Somehow these two things are connected. And if you live long enough, you find that out. Ten years later, 2003, the Black Eyed Peas were still looking around our world. They said, what in the world's going on? People like living like they ain't got no mamas, right? It caused them to cry out. If you look up the lyrics, it's a capital F. Father, Father, help us. Send some guidance from above because people got me questioning. Where is the love? Good news. We're going to answer that question. Where is the love? What is love? I'm going to take you to a place in the Bible that agrees with the Beatles that love is all you need and also answers the question of Tina Turner, Foreigner, the Black Eyed Peas, and so many others who want to know what is it really all about. Turn with me in your Bibles to, this shouldn't surprise you, 1 Corinthians chapter what? 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you follow along as I read the whole chapter, but actually here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach back and grab the last verse of chapter 12 because it really goes with 13. It's a turning point from talents and abilities and gifts to, oh, but look at this. Oh, but look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I've become as a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am, say it, nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me, say it, nothing. Love suffers long. 
and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. The NIV gets it much better here. Keeps no record of wrong. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come. He's talking about the second coming. Jesus. And he hasn't yet. When that which is perfect has come. Then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man. I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror Dimly, but then when he returns, new heaven, new earth, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as I am also known. And so now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is Say it. Love. Now, before we dig into any particulars, and we will, let me set the context for you. I want to set the context for you because even though this is probably one of the most well-known chapters in all the Bible, I believe, I mean, it would rank up there with the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23. I believe it is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied or not applied at all chapters in the Bible. So let me put some context to it. First, number one thing I want you to get in your head before we go any further. This is not a marriage chapter. Oh, it gets read at weddings. No problem. Most appropriate problem. For most of us, it's the only time you ever hear it read. And therefore we make an assumption that it's a marriage Passage. It is not a marriage passage. So I want you to buckle up, sit up, tune in, whoever you are, wherever you are. Because here's what you need to understand. In context, this was a letter that Paul wrote to a real church in a city called Corinth. There are 12 chapters leading up to this chapter, and there's two more after it. So when you look at how it falls, chapter 12, he was talking about gifts and abilities and talents. It's not a marriage chapter. Chapter 14, he goes back to gifts and abilities and talents. Chapter 13, he knows, I got to talk about something that they are so deficient in, everybody. So whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, this is for you. It's for you. This is for every Christian. He's talking about something that he says every Christian has got to get a hold of this. Here's, here's the third thing I want you to note about the passage. It's not some kind of inspirational ditty. That's how also we treat it. 
some kind of inspirational ditty that Paul intended to be set in calligraphy and hung on the wall in your home. That's nice. Oh no. If you had understood and you had been there the first time this chapter was read. So you got to understand, these were letters that were written. So it arrived to the church in Corinth. The leaders got it. When they gathered for worship, all the believers there, someone read this letter aloud. And listen to me, when they got to chapter 13, it was not an inspirational ditty. It was a massive rebuke. Rebuke. It fell like a bombshell in their laps. Why? Because the city of Corinth was one of the biggest cities in the world. It had gone from nothing, nothing to one of the biggest cities in the world. They had shipping industry. They had a crossroads on foot industry. And this was the place. People came to Corinth for one thing, to make money, to experience success, to be on the cutting edge and to make a name for themselves. That's what this city was filled with. So stay with me. As God in his mercy began to save people in that city, they drug with them into the church the same kind of thinking. Money, success, my name, my abilities. Just like we so often do. And so Paul was in a quandary. Here's what he was up against. He's got a a number of churches he's planted and he's shepherding them and writing letters. Here was Paul's quandary. His most gifted and brilliant church was his most troubled, filled with jealousy, backbiting, conflict, divisions, rank immorality, and even the first brush with celebrity pastor worship. This is the group that said, oh, I'm of Apollos. Oh, I'm of Cephas. Oh, I'm of, and Paul said, stop it. Let's be of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Who died and rose again for you? They didn't even have Twitter and social media to get caught up in. Oh, he's my favorite. I follow him. All that's going on. They were a mess because they were so deficient in the one thing he wants to talk to them about in this chapter that matters the most. Now, let's dig in. And here's how I'm going to do it. Frame it up for you and to have some fun, because I'm not against fun. I've made all my main points, the titles of great songs about love. So point number one, what's love got to do with it? Let's answer Tina. Tina girl, the short answer is this. Everything. Everything. In fact, Paul makes it absolutely clear that without love, it doesn't matter how spectacular the things you're able to do are. It counts for, say it. See, here's our tendency. We think, okay, I got these abilities, I got these gifts, I got stuff I can do. And oh yeah, if I would just be more loving, it would even have a greater impact. That's not how Paul talks. He comes at it on two levels to make it abs- That's why I believe this was a rebuke. It was a bombshell that exploded in their laps. It, it, they threw their heads back. What? Look at the end of verse two again. If I don't have love, I am. Say it. He, he like says to them, You are so gifted. You are so brilliant. You are so successful. You have such abilities. You have eye-catching, eye-popping, head-turning gifts and stuff. But you are 
nothing without love. And then he comes at it on another level. Look at the end of verse 3. And without love, it profits me. So all these things that I'm able to do, it profits me. Nothing. I am nothing, and what I'm doing amounts to nothing. Wow. Pretty strong. Fairly shocking. Nothing. 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 Here's what Paul's saying, folks. And this is not the only place in the Bible that does this. The Bible comes at this many, many, many different places, Old and New Testament. What he is saying is when you look at someone's gifts and abilities and what they can do, you are not looking at an indicator or a dial that is tied to the heart and tells you anything about what's going on in their heart. In other words, you have no... You have no awareness of what's under the hood of their Christianity and what's driving the whole thing. Abilities, gifts, tell you nothing. Oh, you can see how fast they're going, how spectacular some of what they can do is. But you still have no idea about the heart. Because think about it. You can give money to the poor. Can you give money to the poor and still not love the poor? Read the paper, sports figures, Hollywood stars, rock stars, right? It's easy to throw a little money at something and feel good about who? Yourself, especially if you can make it a photo op and get 30 seconds of a newsreel time. It's like, and have everyone think well of you and you crave 30 seconds of fame and celebrity about how wonderful you are and what you just did the end of the day it's still all about you listen to me let me give you a biblical definition of love and i need to warn you even for those of you that might be christians it's radical and it may rock you biblical love when you get your definition from the scripture is giving for the needs of another expecting what in return That's hard for us. Even when we think we're doing it, almost always, we're still not doing it. How do you know? Because you get so disappointed when nothing's what you get back. I was willing to do that expecting nothing in return, but I really thought something would. I mean, I didn't actually really play out that way. Are you kidding me? Don't you see what I did? Duh. Love and giving are tied together in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he emoted and sent a a hallmark email. For God so loved the world that he, say it, gave his only son. In Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love and giving, love and giving, love and giving. To the needs of another, expecting how much? Nothing. In return. Real love is when it stops being all about you still. And that's why Paul says in verses 1 to 3, you can speak in tongues, you can have amazing revelations and incredible insights, and you can give all your money away. And buckle up. He's not just saying, you could still be an immature Christian. It's far more serious than that. You just might not be a Christian at all. You say, really, Brad? But look at what they're doing. 
How could you do that apart from Christ in your life? Well, if that rattles your cage, you need to understand it's not just Paul that talks this way. Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, some of the most sobering verses you'll ever read in your Bible, says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, do they have the right verbiage? Call him Lord. Got it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many. Here, here's scary. Folks, scary. He doesn't say there will be some confused people. Many. I hope you're not part of that many. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. So get this. When you go to your Bible, love rather than giftedness is the biggest indication of new birth, new life. That is our calling card as Christians. Jesus himself said, they will know you are my disciples by the amazing things you can do. By your, say it, love for one another. Love, love. So, Let me ask you right here for a moment, if you can get your mind to stop racing, push off the table, things you've done, classes you've taught, things you've attended, stuff you can do, abilities, sacrifices you've made, push it all off the table. Are you a loving person? Really? I'm not saying... Do you do really good at loving your BFF and they send a card and you send a card and you have a birthday and she has a birthday and oh, I love this. That's easy. Do you love people that are hard to love? Do you love people who do not love you back? It's when you probe with questions like that that you're really getting to the heart of Christianity. So after Paul blows this whole thing up in verses one to three, you can imagine because they thought, well, we, 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 we're able, we, 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 we do. They're just left, well, then what is love? What is love? You may be feeling the same thing. So let's answer that sec- second question. What is love? Get this. It is at the very center of of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. Yet Christianity, contrary to what many people think, so often gets treated like a club. And here's what I mean. People think in terms of Christianity as something you sign up for and it's a club. And now I've got a new set of rules I have to try to obey. I've got meetings I've got to go to or they make you feel bad. And I've got to give some money to keep being a part of this. That's a club. If that's what you're thinking about Christianity, you're missing it all together. It's not a club. It's not a new code of ethics that you get a hold of. And now here's my list. Here's the standard. And I got another group of people that are trying to do that. And I'll try to do it also. Folks, 
The world is all over that. There's all kinds of people doing that. All kinds of groups doing that. Different lists, perhaps. That is all religion. Religion is what men and women try to do for God. And you're at the center of it. I am talking to you about new birth. A relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you have that? Are you in relationship with Jesus? Is he real to you? Does he live in you? Have you been born again? Both John and Peter refer to what Christianity is really all about as new birth. New birth. It's not signing up for something. It's not a code of ethics that you just try harder to keep. New birth. And so Paul begins to tell us in verse 4, what is love? But even here's where we make a mistake. We start reading this and we treat it like a checklist of behaviors that I need to try to do. And I understand it's easy to fall into that. Okay, all right, more patient, more this, more that, not so much of that. You're still missing it if you treat verses 4 to 7 as a checklist of behaviors that you are trying to do now. Because here's what I want you to notice that you may have never picked up on. But I tried to read it in such a way that you would feel it. Verses 4 to 7, I believe, are a mountain. And right in the foothills at verse 4 is love is patient. Love is kind. And when we hear that, we say, okay, I need to do better. But I can. I can do better. I can be more patient. I can be more kind. Here we go. Well, those are the foothills. When you get to verse 7, here's what I want you. And here's what I also, before you look at verse 7, sorry, look at me. Notice how he doesn't say, be kind, be patient, be, be, be. He says it is. He's personifying love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, the whole way he talks about it, he personifies it. Because listen to me. Before a person can begin to respond and act and behave a different way, they have to experience it. You have to experience love before you can begin to live it out. And that's found in Christ until you've got that love. Love is, love is, love is. But here's what happens in verse 7. We start off because we're arrogant, of course, saying, okay, kind, patient. Yeah, give me some time, I can... When you get to verse 7, this is like Mount Everest. The air is thin now. It's like, I can't get my breath. I can't get my breath in verse 7. I can't do this. That's what you should feel. Love bears. How much? Are you kidding me? Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails you should be gasping and saying but I, I can't do that I, I, I don't hope all things I don't believe all that I don't trust people I've been hurt before believe all things are you kidding me endure all things are you kidding me never fails are you folks here's what Paul intended for verse 7 to shatter us to crush us so that we'd say, I don't have that kind of love. 
and you'd see your need for the one who personifies it fully. Jesus, the Savior. He's the only one that hit the peak of this mountain. The only one, the only one that you would see your need for the Savior of love. Tim Keller, in in reading this chapter, gave this definition of a Christian. He said, a Christian is somebody who has met love, has been shattered by love, has been captured by love, and is now empowered by love. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ compels me now. See, if you're here today and Christianity for you is just a doctrinal statement, it's a list of things, it's stuff you adhere to that you believe and it's just all about truth and I've got the right truth. Listen to me, friend. If you don't have love, you just might not be a Christian and you can go straight to hell with sound, accurate doctrine. Don't let it happen to you. Love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Where am I going to get this? Jesus. Jesus. And he doesn't just drop a love nugget in your lap. He comes into your life. Comes into your life. What is love? What is love? What is love? It's the person of Christ. And so finally, let's finish what the Beatles started when they sang, all you need is love. Were they right? All you need is love? Or were they wrong? Well, they got us started in the right direction. They just didn't go far enough. They're right. All you need is love. Problem? You cannot find that love in this world. You got to go to Christ. And they certainly weren't willing to do that. John Lennon said, we're more famous than Jesus. If you don't make it to Jesus, you'll never have what 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. Christ personifies this for us. When you search for it in other human beings, listen to me, some of you know this. Some of you are in painful, heartbreaking, disappointing situations right now because of what I'm about to say. You know it, you're living it. When you just try to exchange love back and forth between another broken sinner in this world, oh my goodness, you lose heart quickly. At its very best, the love that we know, whether it's a mother, father, Best friend, brother, sister, mentor, husband, wife, pastor. will hit points because there's futility built right in, inherently within. That starts to bleed through if you lean on it too heavily. Some of you, you're, you're, you're demanding it from other people. They can't give. Here, and here's what. Here's what is so hypocritical about us. And I'm as guilty of it as you are. We demand from others what we are unable to do for them. Isn't it true? Have you ever thought about your disappointments and and what you're really expecting from that husband or wife or best friend or pastor or whatever? How well do you do that? I want unconditional 
love. Love me no matter what, always, period. Give and sacrifice for me no matter what. You can't do it and you don't do it, but you demand it from others. And some of you are going from relationship to relationship, whether it's marriage or friends or churches or jobs, with this huge glaring sign that I've just been so hurt by everybody. And you might have. But here's what's also going. You may be that person who leans too heavily on human beings and you crush it. You crush it. It can't bear the weight of your greatest desire that has to be found in the lover of your soul. You've got to get it from Christ in your life. The only one. The only one. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This kind of love. Christ. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Oh, I'm going to show you love like you'll never find in this world. Romans 5. Beginning in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died. For his friends. For people that were already moving in his direction and looked like good candidates for Christianity. Christ died for who? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God. Say those two words with me. But God, say it again, but God, because here's a hinge on which he's going to turn us away from any earthly example that pales in comparison. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, when we were like that, Christ died for us. Oh, and it gets even better. Go to Romans 8. Go to Romans 8. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do you know he's for us? You say, Brad, how do I know God's for me? I've got cancer. I just went through a painful divorce, none of my choosing or my pleasure, but it happened. I just lost my job. I have rebellious kids, even though I taught them and trained them and took them to church. I don't think God loves me. You're looking in all the wrong places. Verse 32 is how you know it. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Where is it found? Which is in Christ Jesus, our That's why Jesus himself said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Yet Jesus took it to a whole new level and laid down his life for enemies, you and me, enemies. Yet everyone in this room longs to be loved unconditionally, not for what I can do, but for who I am 
period, just love me. And we don't want to be used. We don't want to feel like merchandise. We don't want to feel like a tool in someone else's hands for them to just get what they really want. We know that's not real love. And yet, why do we persist? I can't tell you how many times I've sat with a young lady who's just been mistreated by a horrible young man and she turns around and finds someone else just like it because she wants so much and needs and she looks at me and says, Oh, but he's different. Like, oh, but he's not. He's broken. There's futility inherent within that. And if you place all your desire on that, it will crush it yet again. Why do we persist in, the, in what obviously is the irrational and ridiculous desire to get un- this love that we want from other human beings? When we know we don't do it for others. C.S. Lewis gives an answer that I think I agree with. He says it's not irrational. It looks irrational. Not irrational. He says the reason this desire for unconditional love is so universal. Is because it's rooted in a memory trace. Of the one who can truly love us. Like this. And so he goes on to say, most of what human beings call love in this world is really hunger and a longing to be accepted and loved and cherished in a way that only Jesus Christ can do. That's what you're wanting. Huey Lewis talked about the power of love that he said could save us. I don't know that he had the gospel in mind, but the words are so fitting. And I want you to hear it today. If you're hungry, if you're hungry, if you're broken, if you're disappointed, oh, hear the words because they fit. Don't need money. Don't take fame. Don't need no credit card to ride this train. It's strong and it's sudden and it might just save your life. That's the power of love. But folks, you'll find that only in Jesus. That power will sweep you away. That power will give you the sense of being cherished and treasured and loved and sung over like nothing you'll find in this world. That's the power of love, but you can only find it in Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you to bow your heads. And I want to get you to think about the power of love that can save you. And again, I want you to fight hard right now to not allow yourself to think, oh, I've been baptized. Oh, I signed a card. Oh, I walked an aisle. Oh, I shook a hand. Oh, I prayed a, I prayed a prayer that someone told me to pray. I'm asking you, Have you experienced and are you living presently in the good of the power of love? Have you been shattered by the love of Jesus that is that thin air mountaintop love that only he can do that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things for you, endures all things for you, will never fail. Have you tasted that and are you living in the good of that love? If you don't have Jesus, 
in a relationship with Jesus, you don't. You got religion, but you probably don't have new birth. Come to Christ. Come to Christ today. Turn your eyes away from everyone that you think has so disappointed you or wronged you or fell short. Look to Christ. Come to Christ. Believe that he is who he says he is. That he did what the scriptures say he did. The perfect God-man who loved on a level this world has never seen or ever will see. Sacrificial, laid down his life for his enemy's love. If you're here and you want to be a Christian, maybe you've rumbled around in church at different points in your life, but, but you're recognizing today, I don't think I have what you're talking about. I still feel so empty. I feel, still feel so driven to get what I think I need from other people. Oh, listen, come to Christ today. Pray this simple prayer after me. You don't have to say it out loud. God sees your heart. Oh, God. I know I am broken. I know I'm a sinner. And I am exhausted trying to get this love from this world and people around me. Even in the church, even other Christians. Oh God, I want Christ. I want Jesus. The very essence of love. Come into my life. I turn from my religion and all I'm trying to do and my code of ethics and my efforts. I'm undone. Say, Lord, I want to be shattered by his love. I want to be captured by his love. And I want to be empowered by his love to live radically different. Save me. And he will. He will. He'll meet you right where you are. In Jesus' name. Amen.